Hey guys, before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know about a couple things that I think that you'll love. If you enjoy the Business and Leadership Podcast, you will most likely enjoy the Sunday Six. The Sunday Six is a Sunday newsletter that I send out every week, and it includes six interesting things that you can read in under six minutes. You can subscribe by clicking the link in the show notes or by going to jaredgrabiel.com. Um, of course, if you don't enjoy it, you can always unsubscribe, but I always recommend checking it out. And then two other resources, if you're really into business, leadership, self-help, self-growth, uh, check out the Self-Help Book, which is a book that I published January 17th of this year, and the Self-Help Journal, which is a great practical guide to self-awareness, which is arguably one of the greatest tools of leadership in today's world. Let's dive into today's show. This is the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Grabeel. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Grabeel, and on today's episode, I have Colin Hunter. Colin is the CEO of Potential Squared, which is an international firm that specializes in creating playgrounds to disrupt the way that people are led. Colin is also set to release his first book, highly anticipated, Be More Wrong, How Failure Makes You an Outstanding Leader, which will uncover the systems, the habits, and the practices you need to develop critical leadership skills. Really, really exciting stuff. Colin, thanks for being on the show today. Jared, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to be here. Absolutely, man. If not just for your accent alone, I'm excited to talk uh, over the next. I can stop there, then we can go. <laughs> yeah, I just I think there's just something about an accent, man. It's like the the one thing, I, the primary thing I envy as like a, a basic American guy is I don't have any type of exciting accent. I just have like a Florida tone. I don't even know what you would call it. My daughters would argue the other way around, Jared. They would say, that's cool, and mine is not cool. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's always relative, right? The grass is it not is. greener. Um, well, Colin, man, again, thanks for being on the show. Let's dive right in. Um, what is your short story? If you had you know, three to four minutes, how would you explain where you got to where you are today? Yeah, it's quite quite a poignant question for me because I, you know, not to start the the session on a, a downer because actually it's a bit of an upper for me. But um, my father passed away this year, and uh, and in a, and he's a great man. And but it was a, a moment of you know when you pause and you reflect and you go, so what is my story? What the hell am I about? So anyway, I'm a son of a doctor, and that's my father invented at the time echocardiography for um, cardiology for wow. babies' hearts. So he spent his whole life saving people's lives, uh, babies' lives, and therefore was an amazing, amazing man and had an amazing ability. I was also the grandson, or I'm the grandson, of a professor of theology. So I spent most of my life, Jared, with this huge imposter syndrome going, you know, what the hell am I going to do that is going to, to, to match up and meet to that? So I've, I spent almost the first 10 years of my career really just going around and playing around with Arthur Anderson at the time, with Procter & Gamble, with careers. And it, I, I didn't see it at the time, but it was a playground. It was a playground to, to find out what I don't want to do. And, and then I found my space and it was, went and did an MBA. And in that year of doing the MBA, we had fun. We were windsurfing. We were looking out the windows to see what the wind was doing to go off and windsurf. We were learning a lot. Um, but I was working with some senior people from senior businesses. And I suddenly discovered that to be my true self was okay. 
And that meant the ability to connect with people, connect with leaders, coach, mentor. And so therefore, I've spent most of my, the rest of my career actually working in that space of, of developing heroes of the people I work with, which is, is where I am now. And I've just iterated off that to say, let's create some playgrounds. Let's have some fun in our lives. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love, uh, you know, some of the verbiage that you use, playground, fun, um, I'm excited to get into that because those aren't necessarily the words that a lot of high performance coaches, leaders, they, they don't use those often, if ever. Mm. Um, you know, and I want to jump jump right into this topic of failure because yeah. a lot of people talk about glorifying failure these days. It's regular, mm. it's relatively cliche, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, do you have a different spin on this, Colin? Or like what's your perspective on this topic? So I had two spins. Ozan Varl is a, a great author. He's uh, written a book called um, uh, Rocket Scientist, How to Be a Rock or Think Like a Rocket Scientist. And he he nailed it for me. It's about learn fast. It's not about fail fast. It's about learn fast. And therefore, there's a piece in there. As long as you're fa failing towards something, then it's okay. So therefore, you know, we're testing a new product out in the market, even testing a book. It's ironic that the title of the book is Be More Wrong, and it's taken me three and a half years to get it out the door because I wasn't happy with it. But there's the testing it and putting it out the door to get to people's feedback. I think those three and a half years have probably been the most profound times of my life because I've honed my point of view, I've honed my message. People have been able to add in. So it is this, this failure for me is, let's take the word failure out. It's how do I create small experiments in my life having fun, playgrounding, as I would call it, to learn better what my end user, my customer wants to have. And that for me is the principle on it. And if I can indulge myself one more, Jared, it is this piece about the, the concept of deep partnership with your clients to fail is important. So where most people will fail, they'll screw up. And I've screwed up most more times than I care to admit in my life. But if you're failing together for a purpose, then you're willing to accept the failures as long as you are learning and it's getting better. And that's where I think it's it's a powerful message for organizations and teams. Yeah. And that, you know, of course, that right there can really get people excited to try new things and motivate them to take risks. But Colin, who, you know, on the back end of that, I, I guess mm -hmm. we don't talk a lot about the dark side of failure. Yeah. Um, who picks up the pieces, you know, cause you, you talk about landing on soft ground, uh, making mm -hmm. a playground out of leadership, but you and I both know that there, there can be small repercussions and sometimes there can be large repercussions. What is that? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I was actually recording a podcast the other day and we were talking about race and, you know, a, a very poignant subject at the moment, but how is a person with inclusion, diversity, and everything so prevalent at the moment? How, how do I learn how to, to be a better person in dealing with that? And it, it's the same principle. Unless we create almost a safe place for people to explore conversations with each other around that, and it, we take it into leadership as well, unless you can create that safe place for people to make a mistake, and it not being as a, a major mistake, it's just small experiments um, to do that. So I, I think there's the dark side of leadership is massive for me. As I said at the beginning, imposter syndrome is huge for me. So there, there is a piece about how do I make myself as a leader and individual stronger to be more resilient 
to actually learn how to to, to fail um, and work it. And the other thing for me is that you know that I have an expression: you can't tickle yourself. Yeah, so you need somebody to coach you to to help you through this. And therefore, I'm a big believer that everybody, whether it's an individual or an organization or a leader, needs an advisory board to help you to guide you as you go yeah. through. So unless you have those things, yeah, failure can be a very lonely, sad place um, to be. Or it can be a very motivating place to, to pull yourself up from the, the ground and go and get stronger. And it takes a resilient person to do that. And, you know, COVID hit over the last year. How many of us have struggled with our resilience and our, uh, our energy, mental and physical over this year? It's been tough. Yeah. However, how do we get out of that? So don't know if that answers your question, but that's where I come from on it. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure for the audience it probably hit home in, in different ways. Um, Colin, I want to talk about failure in in the context of the employee. So for example, you and I, Colin, we have somewhat of a luxury. One, we can say, hey guys, let's fail forward and let's learn from it. Um, but that's because we're the leaders. And we get to say, hey, it's it's fine. It was on me. You guys were, you know, doing your part. playing your part on my team. But for employees, which is something that I have a hard time empathizing with because I haven't been an employee in so long, in their mind, they might say, yeah, that's good for you. You own the company. But I'm scared of losing my job if I fail too much, right? So like, Mm -hmm. how do you manage the tension? Because even as a leader myself, you and I both know that there are employees sometimes that fail too much, right? So like, it's not necessarily a question of, their ability to try new things it's their competence or that's their actual ability to perform so where do you draw the line there how do you sort of um identify when when too much is too much and then what do you do about it or how do you help people through that mindset yeah i think you you probably raised about five or six points in that jared that are key <laughs> i think you know so i'll try and answer the the first one that's in my head which is when you set performance goals for people. I don't believe in goals. I'm a big believer in um, uh, James Clear's book, which is Atomic Habits, which he says, if we, you know, if we try to get to our objectives, we will fail. But if we set our systems, we fall to the level of our systems. And therefore, the system you set up around performance, in inverted commas, air quotes, is important for the, the organization. I work for one organization, Accenture, We've had a program called Greenhouse running for the past 15 years. And over the last three years, we put design thinking in. And we've consciously said that if we're not failing, you know, 10, 20, 30 times a year in doing that, we're not creating products that are or ideas that are, are fantastic. But we need to coach the leaders how not to get into that mode of going, no, that's not the way I would have done it. Or no, that's wrong. They've got to find a way of being able to, to subdue their ego and their expertise, yeah, and just go from the user-centric view of design thinking, is this right? Yeah. And therefore, you know, for most leaders that I know, Jared, financial services and anything else, they've built their career on knowledge. Now they're trying to move to this concept of wisdom where they're listening more and their em- empathy is trying to be raised. That's tough for most people. Therefore... You know, as we said before, if you put people through creative or design thinking courses, send them back to the organization, they're probably going to fail unless the leader has, has created a culture where it's okay and they celebrate failure, learning, whatever you want to call it. So there's many different ways to do it, but my the best one I find is to create playgrounds 
to do that and getting to see success through a different approach, which is letting people amplify their voice. Let's talk about the playgrounds. Um, yeah. Where did this verbiage come from, first of all? <laughs> it, well, it's interesting because you talk to different people in playgrounds and schools and and some people will go, I hated school. I hated the playground, you know, and, and joking aside, that's where some people were bullied. That's somewhere, if you were like me, you weren't that good at sports. You were the last person to be picked for the team. Um, however, the playground can be whatever somebody wants it to be. I mean, if you take the, the special forces, and I've had a few colleagues who have been special forces um, in my time, they would always talk, talk about when they're not at war or they're not in a crisis situation, they'd be off in Norway creating a playground to create themselves to be tougher, more agile in the moment, practice things that they had never thought about doing before, whether it's resilience and the SEALs do it in the, in the US. So that's one type of playground. We have professional actors in our organization that we use. So you'll have seen on four weddings and a funeral, you'll have seen in movies uh, and TV programs. So we created something around improv. Yep. So improv comedy using the actors. So why not create a playground to try different types of conversations in there? Yeah. So it, it doesn't, if you go back to the school analogy, school was a time where the playground was almost a release from the hardship of lessons and learning. It was a time where you went and experimented that could be just chatting to a friend or playing a game. So what we want to do is try to find a place where people are immersed in something, where they forget why they're doing it. They don't get complicated in their head around that. And they just be themselves and they learn quickly. That's what we mean by playgrounds. Yeah. yeah and I, I loved the uh, sort of whenever I pictured playground um, most playgrounds now, not all, uh, especially older ones, but most new ones, at least, um, there's, there's soft ground everywhere, like this yeah. foam, you know, to where if you fall off the swing, it's like, you're going to bounce, you know? Um, so I like that imagery of like, you know, you're allowed to try, you're allowed to try to swing as high as possible. And if you fall, you're probably going to end up landing on a cushion, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I love that imagery around failure. Uh, I want to talk about potential squared as a company and some of the stuff that you guys are doing. I mean, I know that you're using cutting edge immersive technology of virtual reality, real actors and measurable data to help leaders reveal and learn from their true behaviors and habits. And this is, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole. It seems like, Good. Um, but this is very unique. I'm sure that you would agree. I've, I've talked to a handful of leadership consultants and coaches, but I have not read anything about virtual reality using actors uh, in order to help people reveal their true behaviors and habits. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it was interesting because when we were using the actors before we had virtual reality, one of the key things that always happened, somebody would come into one of our workshops and we'd have this role play scenario. And for example, Heathrow, you'll know Heathrow Airport, but we were restructuring Heathrow Airport and doing customer service. And we had particular roles we brought the actors in. And one was the head of customer service for Kenyan Airways was one of the characters we created to test people about um, how they would deal with a difficult conversation in that mode. Now, this particular actor is now a famous actor. They don't remember the, you know, the, the content of the conversation, but they still remember this person in character. 
So they were so immersed that they still call that actor by the character's name. They still remember how he made them feel in the moment to the point where Heathrow offered him a job because he was so good in the moment yeah, that he allowed them to, to work it. So if you think about that and you think, okay, so where's the latest immersive technology? It's VR. And we had four clients who got into our VR simulation. And I know all four of them very, very well. And there was this beautiful moment in there where they were trying to solve this problem. We'll give too much away, but they're trying to solve a problem which is saving their lives. And they have to collaborate, they have to teamwork, they have to trust each other. And there's one point where one of the characters was just talking over the other person and the other person just lost their, lost their shit and said, look, will you stop talking over me? Yeah. And the other person said, oh, I'm sorry. And then the next thing out of that person's mouth was, and you do it all the time. And there was that poignant moment where they'd immersed themselves so much that they forgot what they were doing. But that bit of feedback was powerful. And they wouldn't have done that unless they lost themselves, immersed themselves. And that's what VR does. It, I've done it myself. I screwed up massively the first time I did this, the experience with a VR. But it was interesting. This, the way I was screwing, screwing up was exactly the same way I do in my real work. And therefore, it was a huge learning for me. So that's the immersion of VR, switches off the outside. Augmented reality sort of does it, but you still got the real world in there. Immersive reality, virtual reality gives you the immersion feel. True behaviors come out, and it's been proven statistically and scientifically within that. I want to dig a little bit deeper here, Colin. Um, mm. Can you set up for me the perp, like when you work with a team or a client, with either the actors or the virtual reality, what is the purpose? Are you trying to help mm. them overcome a specific problem? And then how do you set that up? Yeah. I'll give you three use case scenarios. Imagine you're a, a venture capitalist coming in to buy an organization and you've got the top team in there. And, and you can see that they've the business is performing, you know, their the multiples are there, everything's in there, but you don't know whether the leadership team to take them in the future and you want to see them in real time. Now, that's one use case. You put that top leadership team in the virtual reality and immersive um, situation. We can get those venture capitalists to observe them in their reality so they can see how they are, how they operate, how they work. You can hear how they lead. They can hear how they talk to each other. And they can start to identify who are the right people in there, have they got the right team. So it, it is a great almost a recruitment uh, focus for how they do it. So that's one way that they could do it. Other use case is just you've got a team. You think about how most teams now coming out of, of lockdown, coming out of COVID, and you think about some of the, the real issues that they've had in there. And there's a, there's a way that you need to get them to bond around a particular task. Or you might have a new team coming together for a particular task. What we want to do is expose what they know. We want to exercise what good looks like in a team. And we want to develop good behaviors. That three-hour session in virtual reality can very quickly, with measurable psych psychometrics coming out of the background, give them a view about where they are. And we've had nobody argue with those psychs. You know? Nobody can argue with them because it's, it's on camera. They can see what they've done. So those are the two, two team things on the VR side, if that makes sense. I'll let them pause and see if there's any questions around that. What got you into hosting? Um, yeah, I'm just... Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, Potential Squared has been around for 20 years, right? Yep. Um, so I don't imagine you were doing this 20 years ago. 
so can you like fast track the evolution? Like how did you go yeah. from, were you doing traditional leadership consulting early on, you know, kind of leveraging your, your education, your MBA to yeah. work with companies. And then you've transitioned into this, like, how did that work out? Yeah. 2001, we set up our first big client was Barclays Africa. We spent most of our time flying around Africa um, and working with the top teams of Barclays uh, working in there. Up to 2007, though, we were doing what I would call traditional leadership developments. We were doing traditional courses face-to-face. But in 2007, I had a bit of an epiphany in, in my mind, which is I didn't believe we were practicing what we preached. Yeah. So if you think about most organizations, they go out and train people. And there's an expression, those who can't do, teach. Yeah. Um, and I was sitting there going, really? Honestly? You know, we're, we're talking about leadership, but look at our business. Do we run it in the same way? So from 2007 onwards, I created the business to say, so how do we practice what we preach? If we're going to sell something to a client, we're doing it. Yeah. If we're doing it badly, we're learning how to do it better and we're sharing stories. And then it was that I started to bring clients in like Akamai that we work with, a couple of other clients like Accenture and said, why don't you come in and learn with us? So give us your biggest problems. Hybrid working is the latest one we're working on. You're going back to hybrid working. Why don't you and I work together to find a different way to work when we come in here? So that's, it's almost been a case of saying, we're not doing what we should be doing here. We're not practicing what we preach. How do we get there? How do we experiment? And that's where, that's why we've got awards for it because it's measurable, it's clear, uh, and it's making significant $2 million businesses out of a single idea that's put together in a program. Yeah. yeah. Yes. At one point you brought in actors and then eventually you you transitioned into some VR stuff. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. And, I'm wondering and, what is next as well, Jared. <laughs> oh, I'm always looking for the next thing. You know, that's, that's a key thing. Which is great. Right. And so um, what, what are a couple, you know, maybe some of the companies that you've worked with that, that I would be familiar with um, that have leveraged some of these tools? Yeah. So let me give you one Accenture. So large outsourcing consultancy, and we leverage the tools. And just to give you one flavor, we, we, we leverage design thinking in there with the actors, but we leverage primarily design thinking and the tools around design thinking. And we have this action learning group philosophy. Now, that's a classic example where they had a problem. If you think about everybody's work time, we've probably got between us five, maybe three to five hours a week that we are free. But because our job says this, we don't give those to other people. So one of the ideas that we had from there was something um, called liquid workforce. So they actually created something where there was one, two, three hours, one of the action learning groups. We hothoused them to give them. That was the output that they had. And now they deploy that globally in terms of using the one, two, three, four hours. So that's an example of a client you would know and how we've, we've worked with it. Give you one other, which you might know, financial services. This is a bizarre one for us. We are the largest provider of internal audit training and coaching for financial services globally. And the main reason is because the behavioral patterns of internal auditors to the KPMGs and PWCs is a key source of their assurance about whether an organization is working in a risk and controlled environment. We used our actors to hone their conversations, to therefore have an external body to say, we rate them as a high assurance. And that was Barclays in the time they quoted us within a report to say we have high assurance, but it was the actors that created those conversations. Yeah. That's so interesting. 
Um, I want to pivot here to your own story of being a recovering imposter syndrome sufferer and uh, what you learned along the way there. Yeah, I've got a couple of things. I mean, one of them is uh, I had so much of an imposter syndrome that I always believed I needed a business partner. And I went through a number of business partners searching for this ideal person who could provide me with a balance. And what I realized is you don't need a business partner a lot of the times. What you need is a very good, strong team around you that can um, can develop and work. And I've got in my chief operating officer now, uh, somebody from Yorkshire, and I don't know if you know England well enough, but Yorkshire is true grit. So, yeah. so it's the hardworking, say it is it is person. I suddenly realized that's the person I needed. So Sharon came into business four years ago, and we've been on an upward trajectory from where we were immediately in there. So that's one example, which is you don't need to be told what to do. You just need to find a way of getting a team together around you that is strong enough and almost let your ego and expertise get out of the way of yourself. Uh, yeah. Is one error. Yeah. In your opinion, what makes a good leader? If you had to choose one mm-hmm. to three character traits, um, what would they be? I've got a I've got a hypothesis that I'm determined to prove by the time I die, which is that the introvert makes the best leader. <laughs> so I've spent most of my time working for extroverted blah 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 leaders. Yeah. And the real skill for me of reflection, listening, coaching, yeah, you'll have seen in your time, the person who sits in meetings quietly till the end, and it's that one killer question that everybody's waiting for, you know it's going to happen. So I have an introversion or the ability to be more curious and silent is one criteria. Um, the second thing for me is the, <laughs> the willingness to look stupid. The willingness to ask those stupid questions, raise the stupid ideas in there. And that's the whole principle behind be more wrong. Yeah. It's the willingness to let your team go off. One of my old clients used to say, I give my people rope. It's up to them whether they hang themselves or not. Yeah. And I sort of said, Well, I'm not gonna go with that. But actually, what I would say <laughs> is, you know, it's a bit harsh. Realistic. Um, yeah, it is. However, there's a piece in there about Letting people in your team fail, letting, and it goes back to the failure bit, letting them explore. And there's this lovely final bit, which is linked to that, which is, I don't own this. Somebody gave it to me, a, a friend in Australia. He said, getting your team not to rent their roles, but own their roles. So if you think about renting a house and how much care you take of that rented house and how much you give to the, the landlord to do versus owning your role, and how much more you take care of that role. And for me, leaders should be getting their teams to to light fires inside them to own their roles and working. So that third one linked to the failure and then linked to the first one on my three that I would give you. Yeah, and that's interesting, the introversion. I think um, we do, I would agree that we're making a transition in our expectations for leadership self-awareness yeah um and that has been an interesting journey for me because growing up i was an extrovert like i would be Mm -hmm. classified as a strong extrovert but just through the circumstances of my life over the past 15 years um sometimes i wonder what i am but there's a word for it and it's an ambivert uh where you're 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 extroverted but you're also introverted um 
but 100%, you have to be able to be curious. But I think it's interesting how your first characteristic is that introversion curiosity. And then your second characteristic is, uh, you know, willing to fail or to look mm-hmm. foolish. And that's more of an extroversion quality um, to yeah. look foolish publicly and things like that. So that's that's a uh, fun tension to manage. But being yeah. a leader in itself is a fun tension to manage. <laughs> Um, well, Adam Grant has put out the scientist, you know, be more scientist is his expression. And then I, I like the middle bit is if you're failing as a scientist and learning as a scientist, it's a it's just a different framework on it, which I, I did think like a scientist is his, his view. And I like that. Yeah. yeah and it, it is a really interesting view because they're scientists. They make a hypothesis. They test it until it either is proven right or proven wrong. And in order to do that, you got to fail a handful of times, but it's part of the process. So nobody frowns upon the scientist that makes five, six, 10 failed experiments. Yeah. Anderson and his 10,000 ideas on the light bulb, you know, 10,000 ways not to do it. You know, that's yeah. the possible one. Yeah. Yeah. Or Picasso with his thousands of paintings that nobody bought and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, what do you think most contributes to business success? You know, with your experience mm. these past 20 plus years, um, helping leaders and consulting companies, uh, would you say that, for example, market timing, leadership, teamwork, market conditions, the business model, the product, the culture, what is the single most effective piece to mm-hmm. long-term business success in your experience? You got you to gotta pick one. Yeah, I'm going to pick culture then. And I, it's overdone, so let me just nail it down further. It's the culture the leader creates that makes the success. So we've seen many examples like GE that were rampantly successful and then they had their succession and then they failed. We've got, so so for me, it's the, the leader and the sustainability of the culture they create in an organization that is huge. And, you know, I was just chatting to a friend yesterday. When your, your boss that you love leaves, a key measure of whether they are a great leader or not is whether you can survive and grow without them. Um, and so therefore leadership culture for me is massive in this. Um, and that's why unlikely leaders is, is one of the taglines under the book. The amount of people who don't believe themselves, but are the best leaders probably out there, but they don't ask for feedback. They don't get the measurement. So, but, their culture is significant. It's only when they've gone that people realize how good they were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you were going to recommend three books, what would they be, Colin? So I've got one that I'm going to, I'm reading at the moment, which I'm going to be adding in here, Be More Pirate. And I love the title because it's Be More Wrong, Be More Pirate. But this book fundamentally takes the pirate culture. You think about pirates, you think about Blackbeard, you think about all of those and it takes how to be more pirates as a, a philosophy in here. And it's a fun playground analogy about how you, you think about they were the first to have same-sex marriages. They were, they were the first to actually equally share out profits in organizations. They were doing good, and they were fighting the big bad evil, which was the East India Company, when they were up there. So Be More Pirate is one that is recent. But my two that I would go to all the time for myself, uh, one is James Clear, Atomic Habits. Um, And for me, that's if you can do your habit tracker, which I've got mine in front of me, get your systems embedded 
Um, and then the final one, I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, Michael Bongay Stanier and the coaching habit. And as a lazy person that I am, he said, how to coach in 10 minutes or less. And that is a multi-million bestseller now. Brilliant book, but it's simple. For simple people like me, it's a simple book to get hold of. Yeah, Love, love a good, simple leadership book. Absolutely. I agree entirely. Uh, these last two I get from Tim Ferriss, so I always like to get them credit. Um, what's the best purchase you've made for under $100 in the past six months? Oof, that is a toughie. Um, let me see. Best under $100. I would say it is the habit tracker. I think that's the one thing I would go for because I'm lazy and I'm a visual person. And actually having a visual tracker of how I'm building and nesting my habits has been amazingly powerful. I'm also a big fan of Tim Ferriss, so I'm loving your questions here. So the other book I should have said is Tools of Titans. (laughs) And Tools of Titans is gold. Yeah, it is. Last but not least, Colin, if you could put anything on a big blank billboard overlooking the busiest road intersection you can think of, what would it say? Um, I could be cheesy and go be more wrong, so I'm not going to do that. Um, For me, it's pay it forward. So I'm going to say that if I had one thing in my life that's worked for me consistently, and sometimes you get screwed with it, sometimes you don't, but the the pay it forward is a massive principle. So giving it forward before you expect anything else of anybody else. Yeah. Love it, man. Pay it forward. Hey, Colin, uh, really enjoyed this recording today in the show. How can people find out a little bit more about you, your book coming out, stuff like that? So for the book, bemorewrong.com, it's also got a bit of a blurb about me, although it's a small bit because I'm imposter syndrome, so it's more about the book in there. Uh, Be More Wrong, uh, at Be More Wrong on Instagram. And if you want to find out about Potential Squared, it's potential2.com. You can find out about the VR and the leadership model that goes behind the book. So that's where you can find me. Super interesting stuff, man. Thanks again for being on the show, Colin. Best of luck with the book launch. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jared. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I have a couple asks of you. Number one, if you enjoy the Business and Leadership Podcast, I highly recommend you checking out the Sunday Six. Uh, The Sunday Six is a newsletter that I send out every Sunday with six interesting things that should take you about six minutes or less to check it out, unless you decide to go on one of the rabbit holes of the links that I include in the email. It's definitely worth checking out. And of course, if you don't enjoy it, you can always unsubscribe. You can check out the Sunday Six by uh, looking in the show notes. There's a link there or going to jaredgraviel.com and subscribing. Additionally, of course, January 17th, I published my first book, The Self-Help Book. And if you enjoy the content in the Business and Leadership podcast, you'll most likely enjoy the book. You can read it in under two hours. It's very applicable, extremely practical. You can pick up one chapter and apply it to your life, or you can read the whole thing. Um, the self-help book can be found at Amazon.com or anywhere online that books are sold. And last but not least, the self-help journal. Of course, if you enjoy the book, you'll love the journal. It's a practical way to apply some of the steps to your life. Um, Self-awareness is a huge tool in business and leadership and journaling. Whether you use mine or anybody else's is going to be the best step you can take towards gaining self-awareness. So I recommend checking that out. Just search the self-help journal, Jared Grabiel on Amazon.com. It's currently for sale for $9.99. 
And again, if you enjoy the show, please do two things. Refer it to a friend and leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thanks again. Much love and God bless.